what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is our film review and discussion show here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. With me is Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Oh, lots lots of films coming out, lots of things to review. It's, it's a good time for movies, I guess. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. We're, we're kind of getting at the tail end of the summer, the summer blockbuster season. So in spite of, you know, because of that fact, because of all the blockbusters we've been talking about the last few episodes, we're going to scale it down just a little bit for this week's show. We've actually got two films we're going to be reviewing, both of them smaller films. Right. Uh, the first one will be the Steve Jobs biopic called Jobs. And then we'll be talking about an interesting documentary called The Act of Killing. So both of those I know Jobs is playing at some big theaters right now, mm-hmm. getting some play. The Act of Killing, probably not but as much. But we'll talk about both those films in just a moment, as well as hit a couple quick news items about some things happening in the movie world. And we're going to end up our show, just like we normally do, by giving our recommendation of a, of a film we think you ought to check out online. Maybe you missed it. Uh, maybe it didn't get quite the acclaim or recognition it should have. But something we think you know is worth checking out, especially if it's available online. So that's going to be our show today on Foot Candle Films. Uh, we'll look forward to talking with you here in just a moment. Uh, but before we get started, just a reminder, you are listening to TheMesh.TV. This is our online network of shows ranging from like film review, like you're listening to now, to business, to education, to sports. We've got a lot of different things happening on The Mesh Network. We encourage you to check out our website at TheMesh.TV. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher Radio. We've got all of our shows available in both those locations. So uh, check it out. Listen to some old episodes. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. So, Chris, let's jump right into our first review, which will be the biography film about the founder of Apple Computer, Steve Jobs, aptly named Jobs. The board is unanimous. Steve will no longer be involved in this company. Ten years after Steve Jobs' departure, the future of Apple Computer is in jeopardy. In life, you only get to do so many things. We're going to make Apple cool again. Here's to the crazy ones. The misfits. The rebels. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. are probably one of the I don't want to call you a fanboy because I guess I can be just considered to be derogatory yes fanboy is not a great word no but you are an Apple aficionado you know lots of things about Apple you probably read most of the books I guess that have been written about I Steve have. Jobs sure you also co-host a podcast here on the Mesh Network called New Stuff, where you talk about technology. So yes. you're, you're pretty well versed in this stuff. Well, and just even to, to, to back that up even even further, I had an Apple IIe growing up as one nice. of my very first 
pieces of electronics. My father had one of the very first uh, Macs in 1984 that I learned how to use. Uh, yes, every computer I've owned has been a Mac. So sure, Apple, Steve Jobs, that whole history. Did you play either Dark Castle or Zork? On Both. Your... Okay. Absolutely. Clearly, as well as Cap- there is scene As well as uh, <laughs> Apple Adventure. I mean, yeah, you name it, I, I was doing it. So. so with Jobs, obviously, as you said, briefly discussing it it is or talking about it it is about the life of steve jobs Mm -hmm. and talking about from how he was a college dropout all the way up to how he was a entrepreneur one of the greatest entrepreneurs of the 20th century and obviously formed this company you've probably heard of called apple yes there this is the first well actually it's not the first the first was i steve starring justin long actually it goes (laughs) even further back there was a there was a movie called the pirates of silicon valley years ago right with noah wiley as steve jobs it wasn't just about steve jobs was it anthony michael hall anthony michael hall's bill gates um so that was actually the first dramatization we ever had of apple's Uh, and you've, evolution and you've seen i have not seen it you've seen it how yes. how was that it was actually pretty good okay. it was more of a tv movie type sure. format it wasn't high high dollar high budget but i mean it was well acted and well done sure okay so mm-hmm. since the passing of steve jobs yes the first film to come out was i steve done by funny or die yeah. with justin long playing it okay yes. so have you seen that no i have not i've seen a little bit of it it's pretty funny okay. <laughs> in yes. prep for this review i actually watched a little bit of it okay so there was i steve but then there's this movie starring Ashton Kutchner as the Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. And then there's also in the works a movie with the screenplay being done by Aaron Sorkin that yes. will also, I guess, more maybe based upon the book that came it's out. Based more on the uh, the Isaacson, Isaacson biography that, okay. that's been out in the last year. And um, now that one's getting a lot of the press right now. About sure. What are they going to do with the big, big Steve Jobs biography sure. based on the big book? This one talked about about the same time when it, when the other one was announced. I think they hustled up the production on this one to make sure they kind of beat it to the market and got out there. And sure. we're still relatively close to Steve's passing. Sure. So knowing all that, all that history, that there's still a Steve Jobs movie on the horizon that's mm-hmm. going to be coming out. How did you feel about this movie, the presentation of Steve Jobs as a person, and also about trying to explore the legacy that was what he left behind? And how did how did you feel? How did you feel it did? Pretty pretty mad actually. <laughs> so, really? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll actually, and I'll say that because I'm probably the wrong person to review this film. Okay. Um, just because I do, I really have savored Apple's history, Steve Jobs' history, background. I was excited to see it presented in a film format. Sure. Um, But wow, um, this movie actually really just really bothered me. And and not for the reasons that I think most of the people out there would think it would bother me. Okay. Uh, So let me talk about the good things first. Sure. That may be a little surprising that I really enjoyed about it. Okay. Um, I think Ashton Kutcher was okay. Um, I'm not going to say he was great, but I think he may be performing at about his maximum acting capacity in this film. Sure. Is that a is that a nice uh, diplomatic way to say that um, he probably couldn't have done much better than what he's capable of doing in this film? His performance didn't bother me, and actually, the performances of the other actors didn't bother me. I think, for the most part, they were they were they did a good job. I think uh, uh, I, I I didn't have any problem with anybody in the film. Okay. The biggest issue for me, well, actually, let me give another positive. Sure. Uh, before I get into the negatives. Okay. The other positive is I totally expected this to be a lifetime movie production quality version of a film from what I had heard in some of the previews I saw. It was a little better, higher production quality than I expected. Sure. Okay. That's my two positives. 
Okay. Well, let me, since we're in the positive section, stay in the positive area. I, I will there. say that I am not very, fam- I know who Ashton Kushner is. All I know him from really is from Punked. I never watched that 70s show. Never really a big fan of his because he always really irritated me. Yeah. <laughs> so I agree with you that his performance in this, actually, I'll go ahead and say it saved the movie for me. Okay. His, his performance. I am really, now was it flawless? No, but the, the parts where I thought it, kind of was let down i blame that on the director and the script Mm -hmm. i do not blame that on ashton kutchner i'm with you and why i say that is because you know i i think he looks a heck of a lot like steve jobs so he had scary he had that going for him and there were times when i was watching it that i forgot that i wasn't watching like footage of something because he was so dead on so I, I was really impressed with that. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, there were some negatives and things that dragged it down. But I was impressed. I actually regret that they didn't save him for the movie that's coming out with Aaron Sorkin because I am going to have a hard time. I mean, I don't even know how they cast that movie no, yet. They I haven't. <laughs> but I'm going to have a hard time unless it's like Noah Wiley, who originally did it way back when. Which it won't be. Which it won't be. But I just, he looked so much the part. And yeah. he had the stare down and kind of, you know, the... Just the mannerisms and things yeah. that he would do. That was what really jumped out to me as being positive. I'll also say that with Steve Jobs, there are instances that you've heard about his presentations or his meetings he would have with his staff. And I thought they were able, there weren't enough of those moments that I felt like really hit home, but there were some. And I thought that Ashton Kutchner, those scenes were well, those scenes were well scripted out and kind of captured who Steve Jobs was. And I'll just mention a quick you know, some quick sure. ones just okay. so I, we can mm-hmm. spend a We're little bit more time the on the positives. Yeah, That's sure. right. Yeah, That's we got to right. bask in the positives. For a so bit. the movie has, uh, it's towards the, it's the beginning, kind of starts the nature of the movie as it starts at the iPod, I guess when he announced to his staff that they were going to be It was putting an, uh, kind of a team meeting on the Apple campus uh, announcing the iPod. And I thought the way that he interacted with a room full of people showing off the iPod, I thought was was pretty good it's pretty natural compared pretty, to like what really happened from what right I understand. pretty so i thought that was i thought that was a good and that gave me a good feeling at the beginning of the movie i was like okay i think think this you know is going to work two other times in the movie that i thought were really positive scenes were he was starting up the mac team and the way he handled going around and getting people and convincing them to come work mm-hmm. within the apple corporation he had a division that he started up doing the macintosh and the way that was handled, from what I understand from reading the book, and I thought that was pretty close sure. to like yeah, probably that what was happened. And then there was early on in the film, there was also a sequence when he was working at Atari and kind of how that all went down with him not really fitting in, but yet he was able to, they knew he was smart and he kind of went out on his own and you have the introduction of Waz, which that was not a strong point. <laughs> but But then him and Waz sitting in the garage and him getting him to build some circuit boards and make money. You kind of saw what the relationship was going to be between him and Waz. And I, so those saw a good foundation foundation. of what could have been explained better. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Started off. Okay. So there were scenes that worked and worked well, and they all centered around, I think Kushner's performance as jobs. So those were positives for me. Yeah. And I think, I think there are some key moments knowing at the Apple history, like I do, it was nice to see on screen, the uh, homebrew computer club, Sure. Where they made their presentation, supposedly that was a very realistic depiction of how that club looks. I mean, you read about <laughs> things, you kind of envision uh, the, them working in the garage. It was nice to have some visuals with it, some things that you could latch onto. 
Uh, but I think you've already hit on what the biggest problem is. And it's really the two things. One, the director. I don't know this director. I've never seen anything else. I think else. it's his first film. Well, it shows because it was really <laughs> poorly directed. Okay. And then secondly is the script. I'm sorry. The script was absolutely horrible in this film for Agreed. two reasons. One, the dialogue was so stilted at times and so on the nose. The dialogue, there's a there's a scene where Waz and Steve are driving to the homebrew computer club, trying to decide what the name of their oh, company is going to be. It's yeah, like, that's bad. What about Apple? It's like, you know, almost just so forced. It was just, we have to cram this dialogue into this one little key scene. Let's make it so just on the nose. Like, it was eye-rolling at times. And a lot of scenes were like that. It was just so, so sappy in the way it was done. I think the dialogue was really bad. I think the, the whole format of the film... Didn't work. I think it was good... Starting out, I think the the flat the flash forward to like more closer to modern day and seeing mm-hmm. where he is as an older established uh, leader of Apple is great, and then go backwards and come back to when he's young. But they spent so much time on the first part of his life where you know he's young and, and starting, but then they kind of skim through so much after that, where it's just kind of hop skipping and jumping through different key moments. It's almost like, well, we have to have this key moment. We have to have this key moment. Let's just stitch them together, and people can try to figure out what happened in between the gaps. And I was able to understand what was missing, but I don't see how anybody else who didn't know Apple's history would know what in the world was going on half the time. I I agree, and I think what the film seemed like to me, we're saying basically our negatives here are the the script and then the direction. And with the script, I felt like basically it was like a checklist. Mm -hmm. And it said, okay, we want to mention... The fact that or we want to show that he parked in the handicapped space. Okay, check, check. that little Done. new check that nuance off. Yes. He worked at Atari, check. He cheated Waz out of money for the job that he did for Which- Atari. You know, was done and, and they showed that happening and it never was readdressed. It never right. came back to have any impact on how we learned about these characters. And so check. So all these little things that you've heard about, okay, mentioning the Apple name and somehow how they came up with Apple. Okay, check. And it was they were rushing through to get all these little bullet points and all these items yeah. checked off that it didn't make for a cohesive it was like a greatest hits collection it was. of Steve Jobs. And- <laughs> That's fine if you're going to do a greatest hits. I mean, that's why documentaries can kind of spend more time because they don't have to over-dramatize these, these key moments. But we had so many moments in this film of just two people talking. And the dialogue was written to say, basically, we're going to try to get everybody up to speed as why these two people are talking. And then this dialogue, it has to cram in so many key messages at one time. And sure. then we're just going to float and do a montage until the next moment where we have to have two <laughs> people talking, letting you know what's going on. It was just... It was forced, and but I, I, I will tell you my biggest hang-up in this film. I mean, I think, this, I think the script was horrible. I think maybe the director could have done better if he had a better script to work with. I don't know. But overall, the overall directing just didn't seem to be very inspired. My biggest issue with the film, though, is that we did not get to learn through the course of this film why the characters were the way they were. That's true. We see Steve Jobs going from brilliant moments as an entrepreneur to horrible horrible behavior and they try to drop a hint early in the film with one throwaway line he uses when he's on lsd as a college student Mm -hmm. about the fact that he was given up for adoption when he was born and you think okay well that's obviously going to carry on and have some reasoning for maybe why his personality is the way it is no it was mentioned never mentioned again even to the point where i if he had not actually said mom and dad at some point to two people we see wandering through a house at one point, I would not have known that those were now his adoptive parents and they never make any mention of the fact that... You just that thought they were like 
landlords or something. Well, it's just that they go yeah. and find a garage, and the person showing them the garage around, there's never any acknowledgement of, this is my house and this is my garage. <laughs> it, this is my dad showing me around the garage. It was just, everything was so rushed. And yes, we made that one little comment about him being adopted back when he was on an LSD trip. That's right. all we have to do, is almost like what the filmmakers seem to say. We don't have to say anything else about it, but yet... They never, you never understand why it is that he, and it's not a spoiler, I mean, this is very common biography knowledge of it, why he refused to believe that his girlfriend's pregnancy was his mm-hmm. and why he was so cold about it. There's reasons for that kind of behavior, that kind of erratic behavior. We never, never got into that at any level. It was all surface hits, like you mentioned, greatest hits. Let's just keep rolling. As long as we fulfill our checklist, we made a Steve Jobs biography. And I, I, they, I agree in one of the most jarring instances of bad script. And I kind of was like, if you didn't know the story, if you hadn't read the books and you went to go see this, I think you'd be mad and more confused was he gets, it's, you know, like you say, it's common knowledge. He gets kicked out of Apple. Mm -hmm. He goes and forms this other company. You don't get any background or what's going on at that company. And then suddenly he's gardening. He has a new wife and three new kids or like new kids. And you're like, whoa. And it's done really tacky where it pans up from him gardening. And it's like, here comes new wife. And they call out their kids' names so that you realize, oh, yes, Reed is my new child. And this is just, it's so poorly handled yes it was so actually the whole last half of this film was atrocious i i think the first half had some value to it i actually kept thinking okay this is this is gonna be okay it's not gonna be great it lulls you in kind of a false sense of security the last half was so slapdash thrown together scenes jumping from place to place with no sense of what was really going on and how they got there and then even that scene you mentioned where he's walking through the house and you're kind of reintroducing where he is now (laughs) and it's like lisa the girl, the, yes. the, the child that he refused to acknowledge at the beginning of the film. Was Poorly his, handled the character is now Lisa. sleeping on his couch. He's like, Lisa, it's time to get up or whatever. No other mention about it. <laughs> so in other words, we know, I know as a biography that he eventually did become, have a relationship with Lisa mm-hmm. as his daughter. And for a while she did live with him and all that. That was never addressed. You basically had to try to figure it out yourself. Yeah. It was almost like this film was designed for you to have to go back and read on Wikipedia or look up websites to fill in all the details. Right. And that shouldn't be the way a film like this should be. No, no. I think it could have been a lot better if they had picked a certain period of time to focus in on. Because it is a lot of information to to share in a two-hour movie. Uh, You either have to go with a mini-series approach Mm -hmm. on a a subject like this, or you've got to pick a specific time period and say, we're just going to talk about this. I think the film could have been successful if they had started when Apple was already incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. Steve Jobs was at the top of his game. Sure. Then you get him getting ejected from the company and having to build himself back up with the occasional flashback to him as a college student, just so you had a little bit of flavor for what it was like. But to spend the first 30, 45 minutes almost on pre-Apple, and then you get Apple stuff, and then it was just rush, rush, rush to get you to the end point. Uh, It just didn't work. The format was bad. The script was really bad. The dialogue at times was really just over the top. Things would happen. Characters would say things and you wouldn't understand why they were now deciding this because we didn't get any depth into what their thought process was. Uh, It was a very surface film. Very disappointing. I I would agree. And I think when I said kind of at the top that Kutchner's performance kind of saved, I wouldn't say saved it, but it was it was the shining positive that made it, me willing to stick yes. with the movie. It, it gave you something to latch onto that was actually decent to watch. I agree. And there were other good actors in the movie. There was Del, 
Marini and I, I liked him, yeah, and then there was, was J.K. Simmons and. Well, J.K. Simmons, I normally like. I will say, on this movie, he really irritated me. But I think it's, it's a script. It's script. It was it's a script. script. I realized yeah. that, but it's like you might as well just go on ahead and put a a curly mustache and a black cape <laughs> on him because it's, it was so from shot one. This is the bad guy. Every line of dialogue was so over the top. Bad guy. Bad mm. board director. Yes, it was script, but J.K. Simmons didn't really do it any favors by giving his character any nuance at all. I mean, it was basically, I'm the bad guy. I come in, I say some bad things, I get mean with people, I do the bad things. And I, I liked Matthew Modine's performance sure. as John Scully. He yep. was played the he guy from Pepsi. He had a little Pepsi. more depth to him because there was actually some things he was having to wrestle with. And right. you kind of got a sense of that. I agree. I thought he was okay. Yeah, it was, I didn't even realize Leslie Ann Warren was Steve Jobs' mother. Uh, who has like two scenes, <laughs> one, probably the worst scene in the film where, uh, where you had, um, who is Adele, Dermot Maroney as Mike Markula, who came in to give an investment money and they come right. sit down at the dinner table in the house and everybody's standing around in the circle and the mom's over there smiling so happy because her son's getting ready to get some <laughs> money. It was so ridiculous, but she had maybe two lines in the whole movie. So, I mean, she got a good actress there and you couldn't sure. do anything with her. It was, uh, Ron Eldred as Ron Holt, uh, an engineer. Very, very small part, but I thought he was pretty good. Um, overall, good actors. Good performances for the most part. It's just horrible script and poor directing of a horrible script. And I, yeah, I just, it had potential. And I think I'm sad because, you know, the Ashton Kutcher's performance is now wasted. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it, it did show that the guy has a little more range than we're used to. I still think... Just playing comedy. Was what he I still don't think he's a strong actor. And I do think in this movie, he was playing his absolute top best he could do. Sure. Um, but I think it was good enough if it had been in a better scripted movie. So... Yeah. Agreed. So Jobs, uh, you know, we're both down on it, saying it's not great. I'm mad more from a personal level because there again, when you see a subject matter that you're you're passionate about and you really enjoy and you want to see it done justice on the screen, this was not doing it justice at all. Agreed. Um, I kind of relate it in a way to Hitchcock as oh. another example, in that Hitchcock was a much better film. Okay. But it was the same thing for me where I knew so much about the person and the subject matter and the backstory. I don't need the film to be a perfect representation of that. Sure. But there's got to be some level of depth. And at least with Hitchcock, it was Hitchcock was not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination, but I at least got some insight as to Alfred Hitchcock's mentality of why he was making the decisions he was making, why he wanted to make psycho, what was driving him. with jobs. You get so little of that other than I just want to be successful. That's really all we ever got out of it. We never got any other drive for him as to why he made the decisions, why he had the reactions in the the sometimes very, very cold, distant, inhuman type of approach to things. We never got any of that. And I think a frustration is that there are other interesting characters, you know, the character of Steve Wozniak, the character of John Scully, the character of Johnny Ive, you know, he's in here as a designer, but they never really fleshed out these people and that would have added so much more you would have understood steve because of the people he surrounded himself with yeah and these interesting people and instead they just glossed over it all and it was very glossed over is exactly the right phrase for it it was just on the surface not deep at all so very disappointing for me sounds like not one you're recommending necessarily either yeah um so that's jobs and uh yeah, so now I gotta I gotta take a little break and cool off a little bit. I'm still kind of mad right now. I'm a little frustrated. But so let's go on to something. Let's go on to a happy subject. Uh, let's go on to our next film review. Oh, okay. So let's move on to our next review, which is the documentary "The Act of Killing." 
Chris, we recently had the, the privilege of seeing the documentary The Act of Killing, yes. which is a fairly new film. Uh, the director, Joshua Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me do my best to describe what this film experience is all about, and then I'm really interested to hear your, t- your, your thoughts on this. This is a documentary. Other than some titles at the very beginning, I don't think there's any scripting. There's no narration. There's no accompanying music. Right. Other than a music video, which I'll talk about here in a moment. It basically is talking about Indonesia, former death squad leaders. Okay, these are people that back in the mid-60s, when there was a coup, military coup to throw off, out the government, military took over. There were death squads where basically anybody accused of having communist trends or tendencies was executed. There were individuals associated with the military that were carrying out these death squads. Am I right in remembering that two million people died? Is that the number I remember I, hearing? I cannot remember the number, but it was it was huge. It was a big number, yes. So what this documentary is doing now, these death squad leaders in many aspects of today's Indonesian culture are still regarded as heroes. Yes. The documentary is basically following one in particular, although there's several others we meet along the way, but one one in particular, Anwar Congo who was a very famous death squad leader, supposedly himself murdered thousands of people. I believe I, I remember hearing him say at one point it was a couple thousand people or so. Yes. They are being given the opportunity to recreate some of these situations, some of these execution situations for a film yeah. that they're making. Now, I don't know the premise in which they were proposed this opportunity. Yeah, they, they, they never went they into that, that, which I, don't, I think was okay. I didn't need to know that. I don't know if it was where the director, Joshua Oppenheimer, approached them and said, hey, I want you guys to recreate these for a film. As a celebration of maybe how your heroes or right. something. Or yeah. I don't know if, if uh, Oppenheimer heard that they were planning on doing this already and said, I want to go document all this and actually see what's going on with it. I don't know the background. Sure. But basically, these death squad leaders are getting together, some of them almost like a reunion of old timer death squad leaders getting together and recreating on sound stages and other places some of the executions they performed. Yes. You had some that were more interrogation-based that ended in death. You had one that was a full-out uh, de- demolition of a village, mm-hmm. um, carrying out murdering many all the villagers in that situation, all being restaged for a film. And the death squad leaders themselves are very much, they, they want to do this. They're, they're excited about making the recreation and re- retelling the story is the way they look at it. I'm helping share the story with the rest of the nation of how they eradicated all these communists from the country. It's a very harrowing documentary. I'll go right off the bat and say it's a tough watch. Yes. It's a very tough watch. But Chris, I do want to ask you, I mean, I, I know it's a tough subject matter and I know there's a lot of emotion involved, but in the end, what did, what did you get from this documentary? I mean, did this, did this carry with it the weight at the end that honestly, given the subject matter it needed to have, did it pull through? Did it? And what do you think Joshua Oppenheimer's role in playing this film? What was his goal? What was his desire on this whole thing after watching it? Well, not knowing how he got the opportunity to go interview these guys basically and shoot them performing these scenes or reenacting these scenes. I'm not sure what his goal was Mm -hmm. um, or what he wanted people to get from the film, but I can say that what I was the film effective to me as a documentary. Yes, but it was unsatisfying in that. I feel like I left out a lot of details as you described how this Mm -hmm. happened. um, The effect on people outside that were being interviewed, like other, the effect on the country interviews Mm -hmm. with, current government officials or you know just it gave you a very narrow look into 
what had happened in Indonesia, but I appreciated the fact that I did get this look because I was basically oblivious to the fact that this had happened. Yeah. And it was haunting me in the aspect of people can do really horrible things to one another and you can always explain it away. Oh, I'm doing it for the country. Oh, they're Mm. communists. Oh, I'm doing this. And then the individuals appear to be, some do, haunted all these years later. And maybe through the process of this filming these reenactments, they come to realize, wow, what we did is we killed a lot of people in very cruel and sadistic ways. Mm-hmm. Even they you keep using the word sadistic, sadistic over and over again. And at one point, the uh, the Anwar's Congo guy that you're talking about, the, there was a point when it kind of maybe hit home to him mm-hmm. where he was being asked to be in a scene and be the one being executed. Yes. So they you know, had like an interrogation scene and then they do these takes of him being strangled in a method that he had described was one that he did. Yeah. And they need to do another take or say they need to do another take. And he's, he, he can't do he can't it. Do it. He said, I can't do that. You know, I've, I'm, I can't do, I can't go through that again. I can't do it. And then later they show you scenes of him watching footage, kind of like mm-hmm. the daily rushes and watching footage from what they've shot so far. And he watches the footage and then the director, you hear him ask him, well, what, you know, what did you think of that? Why did you need to stop? He said, well, I had a moment and I'm paraphrasing here, but I kind of had a moment of clarity where I realized what these people were going through and I suffered like they suffered. (laughs) Now, the director then does something that many people would criticize. He kind of crosses the line and you hear his voice a lot, but he says, he makes the comment, no, no you didn't suffer like these people suffered. They're dead. Yeah, they you, knew they were going to die. You killed them. You mm. did not suffer like they said. And the look on the person's face when he says on Anwar's yeah. Congo's face is kind of, you know, it's like he's processing what's being told to him. Mm-hmm. At another point, he also says, have I sinned? Have I done wrong? Kind of like he's evaluating. He's now a grandfather. Yep. He has grandchildren. He's He dyes his hair to be in these reenactments black because he's, you know, a white-haired old man. So it's... It's an interesting, I shouldn't say interesting, it's a scary look, glimpse into human nature and what people can do when they were given power. So I, it's a tough watch, like you said. So I, that's what I got out. I'm glad to have seen it, but I'm not sure what I was, what the good that can, I guess, just to shed light on these atrocities, well, I guess. Here's the way I saw the whole film. I, 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 I immensely respect the film. I think it was a challenging film, and I, I got to give such Props to the director for pulling it off, because I know I, I, I sense that his his take on it is he knew this is something that had gone on, and he knew that these death squad leaders were still very high respected in the community and treated almost like heroes, and they really loved the idea of recre- uh, recreating these scenes. And he's like, okay, I'm going to go with them and let them do this because I kind of want to be able to turn the turn the mirror back on them like right. he did at the end of the film. Right. I think that was overall his end goal. He wanted to see if he could get them to start looking at themselves in the mirror and, and it, see if he got any kind of reaction from them or not. Regardless of how it came about, it's just an interesting document. Yeah. So Now, I'll tell you right away, I mean, the first hour, hour and a half where it's, you know, we're going through scene after scene, we're getting to know these these death squad leaders these executioners uh it started to get a little repetitive and i started to feel like you know it's okay i get the point we're, we're watching them recreate how they murdered people over and over again and it's sure. tough to watch um and then yet they're still dancing and kind of you know being silly about and stuff joking in between about and joking about it in sure. between. i mean they're very flippant about much of it the whole documentary came to a, a point where it really worked for me in that last 20 minutes or so okay 
Now, which which in the last the twenty minutes, basically, you already described it. Where the, he's watching the dailies, he's watching some of the footage, and I love the way the camera was set up for this last scene because you're just watching his face, and he's looking towards the camera, watching the TV. So as you're watching his face as he's watching the scene, you slowly start to see where he had a smile, like, "Oh, look at me, I'm on TV, and look how I was doing this." To what to the questions you were asking, the whole "Wow, okay, I'm starting to maybe feel like maybe this was bad." Mm-hmm. The whole idea of a documentary where you've, you've detailed somebody who's done so much bad in their life and now they're starting to come to maybe a realization at the end is a pretty typical trope. We see it in a lot in the documentaries. And there's so many times where I don't buy it because I think, well, of course, this person is in front of a camera. They're going to act sorry. Of course, yeah. they're going to act remorseful and sorry. I don't think that was the case with this film. I really did think that we were watching a, a human being slowly start to have some realization of what was going, what he had done. And I bought it. I mean, and even to the point where after that, that bit, we follow him as he walks back up to this rooftop where he had committed so many of these killings. And he's walking around kind of dumbfounded trying to process it all. And he starts getting physically sick. Yes. I mean, it was not can't, a stage can't thing. Talk. Right. It was t- really tough to watch. But you also kind of felt like there was a little bit of vindication at that a little bit of that moment. It's like he's starting to get it. Mm-hmm. And it may have taken him 40 years to get to that point but he's starting to get it and you at least walk away from the film knowing that it, at least there is something haunting them at this point it was it was a very very powerful documentary i wish i knew more about the what led up to the point of making it and some of the the backstory of it and i guess that's something you can read up and find out about but i think it's just uh to watch it is it's not to watch for any entertainment value and it's not really for any information value other than you just know right off the off the front this is what happened in Indonesia, and now we're going to follow these these executioners. It's really more to get this gut reaction out of you by the end and, and really help us understand how people process the idea of death and murder and killing. Yeah, it's there are, like you mentioned, at the very beginning, there are a couple of screens of text that give you a little bit of information. Just enough. Just enough. And then you're left with you know very rough, almost like home movie documentary yeah. footage. I am going to say something, Chris, and this may be a, a little on the controversial side, but there was actually a point of me at one point late in the film where I, I almost sympathized with Anwar's Congo hmm. a little bit. Okay. Not at all in his actions, obviously. What he did was atrocious and horrible. But I also got the sense that he was someone that was raised in this civilization, this, this culture. And when you've got such messages coming into your brain all the time, communism is bad. They must be eradicated. They're, they've got to be killed or else it's going to kill us or, you know, all this. To the point where he, his entire life he's taught, you kill these people, you get them out of the way, it's to make a better, stronger co- country. No matter what your, your biblical, your religious beliefs on killing is, I mean, there's got to be something said for somebody growing up in a culture where that's what they're taught. That's what they're be- led to believe. And you go for all these years killing thousands of people and you're treated like a hero mm-hmm. by the other people in your community. It's Instead not it kind that, of brainwashes you yeah. into thinking everything's okay. So it's almost a matter of, I mean, I, yes, what he did was despicable, but... Obviously, it's the culture and the the people around him that were making him believe that this was okay and this is fine to do for all these years and you're going to be a hero. You're going to be saving us if you do it. That's where the real harm lies is is the culture he grew up with. It's not him individually. Correct. And and that's where, I guess, the broader documentary aspect of this could have been investigated. He, if there again, my understanding is limited of this subject and the text at the beginning was very limited in helping me understand, but... He was not the government. He was basically a thug, if you want they to use that word. Gangsters. Yep. 
which they it's like they're proud of that term. Gangster technically to them means free freedom, man. free man. Yep. So that's mm-hmm. an interesting, and they keep saying that's from the English free man. Like it's right. interesting how they interpret things, but the government. When the communists were overthrown, the, the military came in. They didn't like the military leaders. They didn't really want to get their, I guess, hands dirty. So they let they basically yeah. hired these gangsters to go out and do all their dirty work. That's that right. way, they could you know run the country and lead the country. So yeah, he is at fault. He definitely is at fault. But like you're saying, I wish I could have had some more background on the environment that caused this to happen. Yeah, from a documentary perspective, yeah. it's a tough watch. Yes, it's a very very challenging subject. Uh, not for the faint of heart because it is very very focused on the description and recreation of how people were executed in many many violent ways. We do have a little bit of a very surreal item weaving through the film where. Part of this film that they're making includes a music video yes. or a song called Free Man based on this idea of what gangster stands for, which is shot with exotic dancers out in a jungle with waterfall in the background. And some characters that were, you know, gangster people in drag as well. Yes, there's one in particular, that individual who is kind of the, the secondary person we follow throughout Tan the whole Mars film. Congo, right. He... Um, we get to find out he's a very odd character, is in drag quite a bit, yeah. which we're not really sure why. His name is Herman Cotto, okay. and he actually runs, but they show how he runs for a government position right. at one point. Right, which Does is not win. bizarre. Um, he's in drag quite a bit during the music video portion and some other recreated scenes. The music video itself is just incredible to watch, just how they envision them. Even one scene in that music video, you have somebody with the wire around their neck representing somebody who was killed taking the wire off their neck and handing it to uh, Anwar's saying, thank you for killing me. Yes. Because you have helped me move on to a better place and lead a better life. Right. And that's really how they saw themselves. They were celebrating the fact that by killing all these people, they felt like they were doing a greater service to that person as well as to their country. And And to see it expressed in this really over-the-top bad 80s music video was just very, very strange. Uh, I found myself curious. Now, I guess the benefit would have been, I guess, if this was on a DVD instead of as a movie, like in a movie theater, if I could have seen the end product. Like mm-hmm, if it would have made mm-hmm. like I, I kind of wanted to see as a bonus feature or something these scenes as they the completed work and I don't know if that even exists. I don't know either. But I was yeah. just curious to see because you only saw bits and pieces. Yes. What the final you saw most of it be. behind the scenes making of it, but right. then you did see a few finished pieces that they shot, you know, right. and replayed. So uh, tough film, tough watch, but a very interesting, provocative documentary. Uh, if this sounds like something up your alley, what we described. It's certainly worth checking out, but at the same time, we don't fault you if there's many of you that don't choose to seek this out. If, you're, if you are into documentaries, then this is, this is an interesting one, and it's, it's worth seeing, but yeah, it can be tough. Very, very tough. Okay. So that's our reviews. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hit a couple quick news items and end with our recommendations for the episode. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm 2012 Greater Hickory Kia Classic champion Fred Funk. Please join us for the 11th annual Greater Hickory Kia Classic at Rock Barn October 14th through the 20th. Watch me defend my title against a fantastic field of Champions Tour players. Weekly grounds badges are just $50. Individual tickets are $20 per day. Get your tickets today at the GreaterHickoryKiaClassic.com. 
Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films. You just heard us give our reviews in the first half of the show of the film Jobs, which neither of us are really giving a glowing recommendation for. It actually made me angry. Um, <laughs> and then we talked about the documentary, The Act of Killing, which uh, both of us are saying a challenging documentary. If you're into documentaries and if the subject matter is interesting to you, it's definitely worth checking out. A very, very provocative documentary. Uh, but a challenge to watch. So we'll leave it at that. But I think we both respected it quite a bit yes. for what it was doing. So, Chris, let's lighten the mood a little bit. Okay. Between my angry review at the beginning and between a very d- deep, dark, depressing documentary, let's go a little lighter, shall we? Yes. This is hot off the press news as of about 12 hours ago. Okay. I was probably screening jobs at that. Well, well and we, we so. talked a little bit about the Superman Batman movie that now is going to be the next Superman movie coming down the pike. Didn't we talk about that in a yes. previous show? Mm-hmm. We announced it that, you know, that was a comic con announcement. They're making the next Superman man of steel sequel is going to be Superman versus Batman. All that. We talked a little bit about who would be cast as Batman. Sure. Do you know? No, you don't know. Who I, got remember, cast as no, Batman. I remember us talking about it and who we thought. And they just announced it last night. Wow. You want no. to take a stab in the dark. He is a very well-established actor. Okay. Very well-known actor. Do I get to who know? Who has played a superhero in another comic book adaptation before. Huh. But it must have... Has he played Batman before? No. Oh, wow. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't even have any guesses because the people that I would have guessed were like Michael Keaton or George yeah. Clooney or something like that. Um, I'm considerably younger than both of those. Okay, but he's played a superhero. Yes, in he other- has. Okay. Well, he's played a Marvel uh, comic book character. So he's played starring, Marvel, not DC. A starring comic book character oh, in a movie. It, is it Eric Bana? No. No. I don't know. Ben Affleck. Whoa. Ben Affleck has been cast as Batman in the Superman versus Batman movie that will be coming out in a few years. Oh. <laughs> I can see from the look on your yeah, face. Yeah, too bad this is processing. A video yeah. There's some disappointment, maybe perplexed. Uh, I'm trying to well, read it. Well, yeah. Um, ben Affleck, I admire him as an actor, as a director, but, you know, he, I'll just, it's, it comes down as simple as this. He's just not who I picture as Batman. Yeah. Now, he can come and completely blow my mind and maybe he'll be awesome as a Batman. I'm not going to, you know, slam on Ben Affleck as, oh, he's not Batman, but I just don't. You know, to me, it would be just as natural if they said Jim Carrey was going to do Batman. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's about how, you know, other than the fact that he does comedic roles and Ben Affleck's more serious. I just don't. Yeah. I don't really picture that. But, wow, that's yeah. interesting. Well, there again, hot the press as of last night as we're recording this. Wow. Um, supposedly he's on board. We, it's the exact same crew that brought brought you Man of Steel are now doing this one. Zack so Snyder's directing. Zack Snyder's directing. Is Christopher it. Nolan going to have anything to do with the script? I don't know about that. Okay, that I don't know. Um, but yeah, Ben Affleck signed on. Now, granted, now, how do you how do you feel about it? You asked me. Um, how do you feel about it? You know, and I was the one who was really hard on Ben Affleck as an actor in Argo. If you <laughs> yes. recall that? I yes, really I do. that was the one element of that film I despised is his right? acting in that. Ben Affleck is someone who I liked a lot in the old Kevin Smith movies. I mm-hmm. thought he was really good, and then he's just really dropped in quality from an acting standpoint i feel like okay i would be much happier if i heard that he was going to be directing superman versus batman versus starring in it okay but as it is you know i thought about it i slept on it last night i'm okay with it because i think he at least i mean i know he can play the solid no expression no emotion face he did I mean, that he's in got Margo, that down pat right? <laughs> um so maybe so. I think age-wise, he is a little older than the guy they've got playing Superman, which I think is what they were kind of shooting for. Mm. 
he can probably play grizzled a little bit more than we've seen him play. I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see. Of course, you know, when, when, when Tim Burton announced that it was going to be Michael Keaton playing Batman back in the late 80s, everybody all freaked out and said sure. there's no way Michael Keaton can be Batman. He was pretty darn good. So anything's possible here. But that's where we are with that news. I will I say, I guess my take on it is it's very – obviously, I couldn't guess who it was. So it was a very interesting choice. I guess just for the, those of you checking at home, he played Daredevil in the Daredevil movie uh, many years ago. That was not very good. <laughs> But I don't right. think it was his fault. Kind of like I said about George Clooney in the Batman movie he was in. I don't think it was Clooney's fault. Just like I don't think Daredevil was Affleck's fault. I think it was just bad movies all the way around. Right. Um, hmm. I think I think Ben Affleck wants another shot at trying to play I'm a big comic superhero. Book hero. Now this will be interesting. Ben Affleck will be the only character, uh, only actor to actually have played on screen both Superman and Batman. Hmm. Did you know that? No. Yeah, he was in the movie uh, Hollywoodland. Where he played uh, George Reeves, who was the on-screen Superman from the old serials back in the 30s and 40s. Huh. So he actually got to dress up as Superman in that film wow. and play out some of the Superman scenes when they were doing that movie. as a dramatic film about okay. George Reeves' life. Okay. Uh, so now he gets to claim to fame to say he has gotten to play both. both of those characters. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Let me move on to something else I thought was interesting. Again, okay. in the, in the uh, pop culture geek <laughs> big big blockbuster vein. Sure. Uh, another interesting announcement just came out about the new Star Wars movie. Okay. This one I'm very excited about. So, a little background here. Uh, of course, the original trilogy were all shot 35 millimeter film because digital didn't exist at that point. Right. And they used models quite a bit. Yes. Now, fast forward to the latest trilogy, episodes one, two, and three. Episode one was shot on 35 millimeter. Okay. But they used a lot of CGI, obviously. Two and three were shot digitally. Okay. It was just announced that we have a director of photography for episode seven working with J.J. Uh, Abrams. His name is Dan Mendel, who's got a, quite a pedigree for, oh, yeah? for uh, okay. filmmaking. He's done um, – I'm trying to look at his name here to see. He's, he's done a lot of big films. Okay. I can't pull him up right now, but I'll get to that in a second. But it's going to be shot on 35 millimeter. Really? Yep. And Abrams isn't – a big proponent of 35. I mean, he just, he's a nope. filmmaker, but does he, is he a big proponent of 35? Well, supposedly the two Star Trek films he's done were both 35 millimeter shots. Okay, shot. I did not mm-hmm. know that. And okay. uh, that's his, his thing. Okay. And supposedly rumor is that the people uh, at ILM have been building up their model shop hmm. and working on some secret things. So there's a rumor that there'll be a lot more traditional models like we're using practical the original things practical stuff, yeah. special effects versus everything being CGI and digital. To me, as a moviegoer and as somebody who I really appreciate, obviously, because of the time I was born, the original Star, Star Wars movies and things, I think there's something to be said for trying to marry the two of digital versus practical. Because I think digital, you're, you have, you're like a kid in a candy store. You can do anything you want. And because of that, that actually limits the believability of it. Yes. Whereas models, there was only so much you could do because it would look like a, you know, a pie pan on a string. You know? So right. that yes. would kind of limit you. So I think there's something to be said about using practical models and things, but then cleaning it up digitally. Sure, absolutely. And I don't I think, think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I, no, I think that's... Uh, the Star Trek movies, the last couple ones, I think have been good examples. Well, yeah, it's a whole lot of CGI. But if you notice, when they're on board the Enterprise deck, I mean, that's a real set. Okay, and, and I feel like you can are, tell that it's a real set. You can set. feel that there's right. just an authenticity to a lot of it. There's like depth and just yeah. something. And the, actually, you know, it comes down to something as simple as 
actors can act better when yes, they're on a set. I completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree. J.J. Abrams is a big proponent of having sets. And I think anytime you see stuff on the Enterprise and the Star Trek films, most of it are real sets built. Okay. Now, when it couldn't be a real set, obviously it's CGI, but very rarely do you have an actor standing in front of a huge green screen and acting out all their scenes. Gotcha. Um, Dan Mendel, the, the, who's going to be the cinematographer for Episode Seven. Basically, he's J.J. Abrams' cinematographer. They've worked together on Mission Impossible 3, both of the two Star Trek films, Super 8, all that. Okay, so he worked with them on the Star Trek films. That's That bodes well. So in other (laughs) words, the look is going to be very similar, I think, to what we've seen on the Star Trek films, which I'm happy with. I like the look of those two films better than I have the the more recent Star Wars films. Right. The, The recent Star Wars films look more like cartoons and video games, where I think the Star Trek movies have looked a little more have looked more realistic sure i've bought their environments a lot more than i did uh the star wars ones hmm. so i think this all bodes well yeah and i'm crossing my fingers that maybe there is going to be more practical model special effects in camera work whatever that would be exciting to think that yeah. we can actually see some things that just give us a little bit of that nostalgic feel that i think we were really desperately missing from the more recent star wars movies Fair well that was my two pieces of news there okay. i just thought you know let's cleanse the palate a little bit let's get some Sure. Big, uh, blockbuster sci-fi uh, information out there. Both of those actually just came about yesterday, news-wise. So that was cool. interesting to share on that. So with that, Chris, let's go ahead and move right on into our recommendations. This is okay. where every time we get together, you know, we review new films, we talk about some news, but we always like to leave with that one film of, you know, this is a film you ought to go check out. We think, you know, you may have missed it. You may not be aware this film was out there. It's worth seeing, and especially with all the online distribution channels we have now, Netflix, Hulu, iTunes, Amazon, you can find just about any film you want to watch nowadays online. So, Chris, let me turn it over to you. What What's the film you want to recommend for us today? Well, I'm going to recommend a 2012 documentary called Indie Game. Okay. The movie. Um, it's about it's video games, right? It is about video games, and it's the documentary follows a couple different independent game makers. So these aren't the guys that are making World of Warcraft or Modern Warfare. You know, these other they are Halo. They're not the people making these big, huge games. Normally, from what I understand from the documentary, it's one or two people doing all the work to make a video game. So mm. you can imagine how stressful that. And that's this is their job. Mm-hmm. They eat breathe sleep you know that everything is a game and they spend their life like you know three years doing nothing but trying to get this game made and developed and pushed out there and you see the stresses that go on the disappointments and it's a very interesting movie um, and it follows games that I'd never heard of, uh, mm-hmm. a game called Fez, which I had never heard of, a no. game which called Super Meat Boy. <laughs> but these are it's talking about these more independent, smaller budget fi- uh, video games, Correct. right? I, mean, yeah, I think so. the majority of them are released like through Xbox Live, where you can you buy get these online, smaller you games. You buy for a few dollars type of thing, right? So it's just interesting to see their thinking and how they approach it. Yes, it is their livelihood because it is their job, but they approach it as digital art and they put the personality of themselves into the game because there's not a team of two or 300 people making this game. It's just them. So it's very personal and they're kind of proud of some of the rough edges that are in the games. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, how things aren't perfect or they don't always make sense or it's not these amazing CGI graphics because they're like, this is personal and it shows my personality that it's not always, you know, perfectly glossy. And Mm -hmm. so it's just a very interesting take on it. And I really, I really enjoyed it. Not having heard of any of the games or any of the individuals in the movie, you know, mm. these independent game makers, I found it 
really, really, uh, really fascinating, and I right. would strongly recommend it. And it's like I say, it's uh, streaming on Netflix. So. Indie game, the movie. Yes. Okay. Very cool. It's a documentary. There yes. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, my my recommendation. Uh, we talked about the Batman Superman thing a little bit ago. So let's stay mm-hmm. kind of on that superhero vibe like a little bit longer, if you can indulge okay. me on this. Oh, sure. But not a very traditional superhero, supervillain movie at all. Okay. Uh, the film's name is Unbreakable. Oh, yeah. And it was done. It was the second feature film by Mr. M. Night Shyamalan. Now, for those of you who have been listening for uh, the last few months, you heard us absolutely rail on After Earth just <laughs> maybe two, three months ago uh, at the beginning of the summer. Uh, Shyamalan is someone whose quality of work has gone down at a very, very fast pace. Very rapid pace. It's like a, it's like a, a, a steep hill with a runaway, no brakes, you know, brakes are shot, cars going to implode at the bottom type of pace. Uh, so I've absolutely hated his last few films, which is why it pains me when I actually do go around and see some of his earlier films and realize how freaking good they were. Yeah. Um, the Sixth Sense is still a great film, still holds up, even if you know the, the surprise well in advance. But his second film, when it came out, Unbreakable, everybody was all excited about this film. Sure. Because, you know, oh, it's the guy who made The Sixth Sense. Unfortunately, he had to follow up The Sixth Sense. He did. (laughs) And it got out there in the press that there was some sort of twist ending at the end of this movie, too. So, of course, everybody's all rabid about going to see it. It made a lot of money the first weekend, and then it completely dropped off the radar because people are like, eh, they didn't really care for it. Sure. It didn't have quite the flashiness. The the surprise ending was not as big and shocking at all as The uh, Sixth Sense was. So if you got past all the hype and you kind of revisit it years later, which I just recently did, okay, um, it's a really good film. Okay, and what it is is we've got Bruce Willis, we got Samuel L. Jackson. Bruce Willis stars as someone average Joe kind of guy. He works as security at a football stadium. Problems with his wife at home, but yet he's in a train accident. Okay, and so many people die or get seriously injured in this train accident, except for him. He basically walks off unscathed. Doesn't know why. And what you start to learn over time is that he's basically got superpowers. He's super strong and all this. But they never play it for spectacle. They never play it as your typical hero movie. This is about a normal guy who's starting to realize over the course of the film that he is endowed with some sort of abilities. He's not sure what to do with them. He's not sure what they make sense. And he comes to be somewhat friends with Sam, Samuel L. Jackson's character. I don't remember the name of the character offhand, but you know, he does have a name by the end of the film. Something go- oh, okay. Yeah, and Mr. Glass is what you find out his name is at okay. the end. But basically, this, this gentleman, is uh, he collects rare comic book art, and he espouses all about the mythology of the comic book and all. When he meets David, uh, Bruce Willis's character, he sees something in him that thinks maybe this is a real superhero. Maybe... He's the one that walked away from this crash, and he's been in other situations where he's never been sick. You know, other things that just start to all of a sudden come together. And so the movie's really about the dynamic between these two characters. It's not about superheroics. It's not about action. There's none of that. Sure. There's only one scene late in the film that even has any smack of action. That's where uh, David's character starts to realize that there's somebody who is going to break into somebody else's house and possibly harm some of the members of the family, and he goes and tries to stop the guy. Gotcha. But it's a, it's an, a really, really fascinating film, very well made, very plodding, slow pace, but it's a slow build. I mean, you, just, you, you really want to follow these characters and see where it ends up. It does have a twist at the end. I say a twist. It's got a revelation at the end. Sure. That you could kind of see coming if you were really thinking about it. And yeah, when it ends, it's pretty much you find out the revelation and then there's a title card and that's it. And it really, I think, left a lot of people saying, really, that was it? 
Well, Shyamalan planned this as a trilogy. That's what I was going to ask you. Is yeah. That, okay. He planned this as a trilogy. This is kind of the origin story, the classic origin story of how a character starts to learn about his abilities. It was going to go into a second and third movie to be more of a full-form trilogy. It didn't make enough money to do that, so they abandoned it. But fans, a lot of fans have been clamoring to say, we'd love to know what the next chapter is. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of an abrupt ending, and it's maybe a little dissatisfying ending, but the build-up to that, I think, is well worth it. I think it's so a great film. we're not going to flash back to our news segment. He's not planning on doing a scene. No, no, oh, believe me, that bad. would be in my news category for sure if it was. <laughs> so Unbreakable, I, okay. I only say it doesn't seem like we should be saying that a, a Shyamalan film was under-received, and especially early in his, his career, but it was, I think. Sure. I don't think it got the attention it needed, so you ought to check it out. I don't know if it's on Netflix. I mean, I know it's on iTunes and okay. Amazon, but anyway. So that's our recommendations, video game or indie game, the movie, indie game. Mm-hmm. and then Unbreakable. We had our reviews of Jobs and The Act of Killing, and we talked a little bit about some uh, geekier news just to get things lighter in tone after our reviews. So that's our show for today for Foot Candle Films. Uh, we do hope you have any ideas suggestions feedback for us uh, we hope you'd send it our way we'd love to hear from you you can reach us at info at themesh.tv that's info at t-h-e-m-e-s-h.tv i'm just all tongue-tied today chris <laughs> info at themesh.tv is where you want to reach us you can also go to the mesh website at themesh.tv and that's a good place to go you can fill out the little contact us form and uh, drop us a note that way or you can go back and listen to any other episode or show uh, you can also go check out all the other shows on the Mesh Network and let us know what you think of those as well. And, of course, our film society, the Foot Candle Film Society, that helps make this show possible and uh, kind of got us started on this path. We host a screening in Western North Carolina every month. If you're interested in learning more about the Film Society, you can go to footcandle.org. Uh, right now, memberships are completely filled up. We've got 450 members that come out and check out films every month with us. But if you'd like to stay in the loop or at least be on the waiting list or just learn more about what we're doing, that's footcandle.org. You can do that. Again, my name's Alan. I'm Chris. And we're with Foot Candle Films. Thanks so much for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. Oh, and Chris, one thing I forgot to tell you about when we went to go, I went to go see Jobs the other night. Yes. It was a 10 p.m. screening on a Tuesday night okay. here in Hickory, North Carolina. I did a 10 p.m. screening oh, last night. Did you? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hickory, North Carolina, not very well attended. There was only one other group there in the theater besides me and my friend. I was the only one there. You were the, wow. Okay, <laughs> yeah. cool. Well, I just need to say this as a public service announcement. The, the family and the gentlemen that were in the theater in the, in the rows behind us on the 10 p.m. screening this past Tuesday had a really bad flagellants problem to oh, the point where it was no. very loud many, many times. Oh, no. I'm just saying this as a public service announcement. First off, sir, 
please, I hope you visit a hospital or a doctor soon because <laughs> oh, that no. is a medical condition that you need to have evaluated. Oh, no. And I'm um, just saying, you know, in the future, I would just please ask that if you know that you're suffering from this problem <laughs> and you go to a 10 p.m. screening, maybe hoping that nobody else will be there and that your problem will not be as detected by everybody else. Uh, if you see other people in the theater, I would ask that maybe you go see if there's another film even less populated <laughs> to enjoy that evening. So that's just a public service announcement. If you were there at Carmike Cinema, Hickory, North Carolina, 10 p.m. this past Tuesday, please, please seek medical attention as soon as possible. Wow.